the Lord. It's time to hear from the throne of grace. And I would like to encourage all of us to bow down our heads and our hearts as we talk to God. That God should once again minister to our hearts and minister to our lives. Let's talk to God. In Jesus' mighty name, we are. Okay. Lord, thanks in the name of Jesus. As we be going into your word, send your way in the name of Jesus. We ask that you bless every one of us in the name of Jesus. The grace to be doers you will grant unto us in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that vessel only I will be in the name of Jesus. Ask that you will speak expressly through me in the name of Jesus. I will not speak of myself. I will not speak of my own. Just pray that your spirit will just lead this time in the name of Jesus. Praying for the right ex um, illustrations, the right examples in the name of Jesus. 
Thank you, our Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. Please, I would like us to take a hymn as we take this message from the Lord. Um, the title of the hymn is, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. I Stand Amazed. Please, can we rise up to take this hymn, please? Oh, yeah. 
Jesus Christ. That hymn we just listened to talks about the marvelous love, the great love of our Lord Jesus Christ. The song, the, the, the hymn describes the pain that he bore for my sake and for your sake. Talks about the marvelous things that he has done for us. I pray that it will find expression in our lives in the name of Jesus. Um, this morning we want to look at, um, we just want to further a bit into what we started last week, an aspect we did not touch while we were looking at the word of God last week. Um, we are still looking at the love of God, but we want to look at the love of God as it is being expressed through correction. If I were to tell or give this message a title, 
I will call it the love of God in corrections. The love of God in corrections. Um, last week, by the grace of God, while I ministered here, it was an aspect of my ministration that was left out. And the leadership of the church felt that it's essential that uh, we bring it forward before we put that angle of uh, message to rest. That's why we are here again this morning. Please let me say this. Um, as I opened my Bible and I studied, I got to a point that I became very afraid. Um, it's not a, a, um, a negative fear. I became afraid because of the fear of the Lord, which is a positive one. It's not a negative fear. Um, I was stunned. I was, I, was, um, I was put to a halt in my study. And it was because of something that I saw that made my heart to be very heavy. Up till now, I've not been able to express that body. And I'm praying, probably this body will be dispensed as I discharge this message under the grace of God in the name of Jesus. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter. I want to quickly read some quick scriptures. I'll pick out the body from there, where the Lord stopped me on my tracks. And I've not been able to get over that particular thing. Hebrews chapter 12, that's the theme text. I want to lay that foundation with the theme text. Hebrews chapter 12. Um, let me just read, let me go straight to the point because of my time. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. It's a very popular scripture. Um, I don't want to bore us with from one, but if we get home, we can take it from verse 1 to 17. It explains a whole lot of things, but for the context of this message, Let's just look at it from the book and um, from the verse 5 and 6, which talks elaborately about what we want to discuss. Okay? And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, is chastened and scourged every son whom he received. He received. Proverbs chapter 3. I'm just trying to lay the foundation of what the Lord wants to do with us. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. It's very similar to the Hebrews that we just read. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he corrected, even as a father, the son in whom he delighted. We have been able to lay a foundation for this message that God corrects, chastises, rebukes only those people that he loves. The burden that I said I picked is from this particular scripture. I want us to go to this scripture and um, trust God to help us to move forward from there. Okay? 
John chapter 13. I want to read from verse 21 to 30. John chapter 13, from verse 21 to 30. This is the story of the betrayal of Jesus. And um, it's the story of Judas Iscariot. When Jesus, I'm reading from verse 21, John chapter 13 from, from verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in, the, in spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who he should be of whom he spake. Verse 25. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said unto him, That that thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Praise the Lord. From this scripture that we just read, don't forget the scripture we read in the beginning, that it is the son that the father loveth that he corrected. It chastises the one that, you know, is his child. Now, something struck me here. There was a disciple, there was a disciple that was resting on the breast of Jesus. Um, and this is not just a literary saying. The disciple was actually leaning on Jesus' chest. Meaning that, and the Bible described that disciple as the one that Jesus loves. It didn't, you know, for somebody to lie on my chest as a disciple, it means that there is a very cordial relationship between the two of us. Probably I'm comforting him. Probably, you know, he's just, you know, feeling free with me. It shows a level of love. And Bible describes, but the name of that disciple was not mentioned. But there was a description of that disciple as a disciple that Jesus loves. Okay? Now, Jesus made a statement in that gathering. He said there is one here, also a disciple, that is about to betray me. And what caught my attention is that Jesus said, that which you want to do, quickly go and do it. Do you know that when Judas went ahead to do that which was in his mind, 
do we know that that was the destruction of Judas? He never found place for repentance. Neither did he find room to come back and uh, make his ways right with, um, with Jesus before he died. And he actually, um, you know, he died and, you know, if we are not to judge, but he didn't look like somebody that made it home. Now, my body is that why would a man be with Jesus? And Jesus will tell him to quickly go and do the evil that is in his heart. Whereas, the scriptures that we are looking at talks about the love of God and how the love of God helps to correct a life. Please, um, as I was studying this, the Holy Spirit led my heart to um, the, book, the book of um, Revelation chapter 20. Please read the book of Revelation chapter 20. Um, 20. Verse 14. The picture of hell. The picture of hell I've been playing in my heart for the time that I knew I'll be taking this message. And then several descriptions. I don't want to, that's not the that's not the topic for today, hell. But I must just talk about the likelihood of what may happen to a lie that is not corrected, to a life that is not giving breaks, to a life that is not helped while still alive. I saw it in, I saw a bit of it. There are several scriptures about hell in the Bible, several. But I just want to read this and move away from here. My, my topic today is not about hell. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Many times the Bible describes the um, hell fire as a place filled with sulfur, brimstone, lake of fire. Many times I imagine volcanic eruptions, volcanic uh, molten magma. I look at it as, you know, a place of intense heat. While I was studying again, I saw that one of the greatest fires we have had is, was the um, great Australian fire that consumed about 20,000 hectares of land, if I'm not exaggerating, either 20,000 or 20 million hectares of land. That fire consumed billions of animals, consumed billions of trees in its path, destroyed several houses. I asked a brother of mine that is staying in Australia, and I was asking him, what causes these bushfires? The fire would just start, and it would just spread. And he was explaining to me that, usually, in Nigeria, of course, he is a Nigerian. He said in Nigeria, the only time we experience thunderstorm and lightning storm is when it is raining. But he said over there that they experience lightning storm without rain. And at times, when that lightning strikes, it may strike and hit a very dry wood in the forest, in the middle of the forest. So the fire will start in the middle of the forest, spread before anybody will even notice that there is even any fire. It will have started burning for several kilometers before people will notice that there is a fire. Now, that is a fire that is on earth here. 
That is a fire that, you know, can only consume trees, consume animals, consume houses. They said 34 people died in that fire. Okay. But hellfire is a place of torment that nobody enters into it and comes out of it. So it gives me a, a certain measure of the gravity of correction. For some, for some weeks, we've been going to the correctional home to do some ministration to, um, to some young ones that are in the Boston Remand Home. And a young one came out and said, he's there because he stole. I don't know how many of our children have taken things without our permission before in the house. I know my children at times would take things that you have never given them permission for. And I've had to correct them in the house and say, don't do this again. This is wrong. I will bring out that rod of correction and say, if you continue like this, I know there was a time I was telling my son, if you continue like this, if God does not help you, you will come to a point, or let me just say that, lives that have refused to yield to correction that is being given in the home. By the time they get out, I told him, I, that was a particular day I told him that normally they carry tires. You know jungle justice. They carry tires. When they catch people stealing phones, and they put tires on their, I'm talking about jungle justice. Before people, before people can say, hey, 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 what's going on? They serve as the judge. They serve as the executors of the judgment. I'm talking about the people around. And they execute that judgment straight up. If they catch a kidnapper, that's the same thing that is meted out to him. If a car mistakenly hits somebody, a trailer, before police can get to the side, they will have burnt down that trailer. Jungle justice. So I said, anyone that continues on this path, usually you cannot determine what's going to happen at the end of the day. So, why is correction important? Why is it that it is an expression of the love of God? Why is correction tied to an aspect of the correction of, um, as an expression of God's love? I had to go to the extreme. I had to take us to that place of torment, which is the end of everyone that did not get it right here on earth, which is the end, the place of damnation. Many times we forget about that place. We forget that there is a place of judgment. You know, last week I was talking about judgment as an expression of God's love. And I was also balancing it with the mercy of God on how God usually have mercy. How God will not allow a life to go to that place of torment. God will not have been a just God if there is no hell. Do you agree with me? Many people have said that. Why would God create a very terrible place like that? A loving God. Why would he create, you know, the description of that place scares the living daylight out of me. A place where is there is stench 24-7. Crying never ceases. Worms, gnashing of teeth. Fire that is as, I don't even know what centimeter, centigrade or whatever dimension of degree the fire is. The heat is. Why would a loving God do that kind of a thing? And I was able to say under God last week that it is a measure of love. It is a measure of judgment that says that if you have done well, you should be rewarded for the good things you have done. If you have not done well, you should be sent and you should, you should pay, 
you know, for the things that you have done. And in between doing well and not doing well, there is the mercy of God that can help everyone not to go to that place of damnation. That was explained very clearly last week. I don't need to go back to that. So this morning, the life of Judas, even though that's not what we are dwelling on, I'm just using that to, to you know, express a burden. That how can a life be with Jesus? And Jesus could not help that life. And Jesus could not, you know, yes, there have been prophecies that somebody would betray Jesus. Many preachers have said that must it be Judas? Huh? Okay. The prophecy was John's hanging. Wasn't as if they put a name of anybody inside it. I've heard several preachings in that line. It's okay. My concern today is that Judas was with Jesus. Jesus knew that Judas was going to do an evil thing. Yet, Jesus gave him, he gave him soap. <laughs> and he said, that thing that you want to do, go and do it quickly. I don't know. Um, several of us, when we've made up our mind on some things we want to do, um, it's, even God many times cannot stop us. I'm sorry to use this word. When some of us have really, really made up our minds that I want to do this thing. You know, last week I was talking about the story of an unforgiving woman that said that there is nothing that will make her ever forgive her husband. And then she said that even if, as in, she will never forgive him. Now, if such a person goes to the presence of God and prays, and, is pray, and she's praying, 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 and God is saying, forgive your husband, you know, she will make sure she hides that thing away from God. Abby? And the evil she wants to do, she will still go ahead and still go and do it. That's why we have to be careful. That's why we have to be extremely careful. Jesus had seen a desperation in the life of Judas Iscariot. He had seen that this man's mind had already been made up. He had seen antecedents. He had seen his, his track record over the years. He had known what he's capable of doing. And yet, you know, Jesus allowed him to go that way. It is my prayer for us that um, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whom the Father loved, the Father corrected. I looked at several cultures of the world and I was just wondering, is it only Africans that correct their children? And I saw that Discipline cuts across cultures, races, continents of the world. You know that if a child misbehaves in America, what would the parents do to the child? Would they beat the child? They don't beat children in America. The day you beat your child and the social welfare, the police gets to know you are in trouble. So what do they do? They ground the child. They will say, child, though, you are grounded. You are, no, you are not playing computer games. You are not watching TV. They will seize the child's phone. At times, they may tell the child to sit down. They will put a chair to the wall. They will say, sit down there for the next one hour. 
If you like, stand up, I will deal with you. When the child sits down for five minutes, he becomes restless. He starts crying on the chair. That's the way they understand, um, what's it called? Discipline and correction. In Africa, in Africa, how do we understand discipline? Bass, boss, 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 bass. The boy's head, the girl's head will hit the wall many times. Yelling. Kilomashiano. Uromobolele. We are trying to set that child from destruction. We are trying to save that child. We are trying to ensure that that child does not go to a place of damnation. One of my brothers was telling me, he's a lawyer. He's in Canada. And he was telling me that they had a meeting in their church one day. Um, African, Nigerian migrants. And they just relocated to Canada and they were asking him a question. And they were saying, um, they said you cannot beat children in this place. What kind of thing is that? Nigerian is in a redeemed church. Oh. They were asking him as a lawyer that has been there for a long time. Um, Ogba, they said we should not beat children here. Me, I will beat a child. Oh. My brother said he laughed. He said, if you touch a child here, you will go to jail. He said it is not him that has made that rule. That is the rule of the land you have now found yourselves. So you must learn to abide with that rule. I beat my child. I was sharing with him. Um, I think it was Sister Toyin and um, Daddy Favor when we were traveling. I beat my last born like some few weeks ago. He, what he did was very, very wrong. So as I gave him the, I, I asked him to lie down on the bed. So I brought out my cane, the African way of correction. So I brought out my cane and I gave him the first stroke. The boy rolled. My wife now held him, cooperating with me that Omoyi African no more. She held his legs while I was doing the beating. Do you know what happened? The next day we were in the living room. The boy was just drawing. And he drew a picture. Five-year-old boy, Emmanuel. He drew a picture. And he said, When I saw the picture that he was drawing, I said, What is it that you are drawing? I just saw something. It's not somebody. I saw something holding down the legs of somebody. <laughs> eh? I saw something lying down. <laughs> you know why I'm saying something is because why I'm saying something is because the picture does not really depict, but you can get the understanding of what he's doing. I saw something lying down. I said, Who is this? I said, he said, that's me. And I saw something carrying cane like this. I said, Who is this one? He said, Daddy, that is you. <laughs> I called him. I said, if you were to be in America or somewhere, and you draw this kind of picture in your art class, and your teacher is asking you, what is this that you have drawn? <laughs> and you tell the man that, this is my daddy beating me, and my mother holding me down. <laughs> I told him, be careful. Eh? I laughed, but I told him. I said, be careful with this thing that you are doing. What am I saying? We have several ways of trying to put our children in order, regardless of which environment we may find ourselves. But there is a general notion that says that spare the rod and spoil the child. We will not go the way of the Westerners who have abandoned 
the, the commandment of the Lord that says you should not spare the rod. They are reaping the fruits of that today in several ways. All right? So, what is it that God is trying to pass across to us as adults, as children under his watch? It is the child that God loves that he corrects. It is a child that God loves that he corrects. I don't see God coming to lie us down and removing Cain from heaven and flogging us to our senses. He has several ways of correcting those whom are his children. I also understand that it is possible to be company with us in the church and you are not a child that receives this kind of mercy. I call it mercy because if God in his love, this, you know, it was because of his love that he decided that I will be correcting my children so that they will not end up in that place of damnation. So because of that is awesome mercy. He looks out for his children from time to time. Whenever they are doing something wrong, he corrects them. Let me also say that I learned that when I was doing this study, that correction does not come before you do a mistake. Usually, correction comes in times of chastising. It's, it's, it's a reprimand. It's a rebuke. You have done something wrong. So you have been corrected for the things that you have done wrong. I, I, I observed that. But I also saw that some of our African mothers, at times, Profile correction before a mistake is done. I remember a story when I was young. One of my mother's, um, one of my friend's mother, she's late now, very close family friend. One day she bought a very expensive wall clock and she put the wall clock on the table, on the center table in the living room. He call, she called her four children. All of them came out. He said, look at this clock. I just bought it too. It is very, very expensive. And I don't want you people to break it so that you will not break it. Eh? She brought out her cane and gave them strokes of the cane each. She flogged all of them and said, this clock, oh, I know you children very well. This clock must not be broken. So after beating them, she now hung it on the wall. Then my friend said to me, he said, Bayo, when she says, go and check the time. You know that they don't even go there to go and check the time at all. <laughs> they rather go and check the time somewhere else than go to that clock and go and check it. Now, what she's doing is she's being proactive. She's saying that, I know you have tendency to do something wrong. Whereas, I don't want you to do this thing wrong because So, let me put an end to that thing. So, but the way I'm seeing God, there's a difference between God taking you through a wilderness experience trying to teach you, trying to prepare you for life. It's a different ballgame. He can decide to do whatever he chooses to do to teach you, to train you. If it's for marriage, he can decide to, you know, take you to a home of people who are doing well in their marriage and train you in that house. I remember a training that I had when I was in GSS 1. I used to be very sluggish. I used to be very lazy. My mom made five pairs of school uniforms for me. One for Monday, throughout Friday. So on Saturday, I'll just pack the five together, 
dip it on Saturday, put it inside water, and remove them, and I'm on my way to school. My father had a driver that was taking us to school at that time. So whenever that driver, that driver used to resume by 7. When the man comes and is warming the car that we'll be using to take us to school, when I hear the stand of the, of the, of the car warming, that's when I wake up from the bed. It is the sound of the car that is taking me to school that will wake me up. So I quickly run to the bedroom, do crash, run back to the car, you know, and get out and, and go to school. My father saw all of that. Do you know what he did? He just came home one day. He said, Bayo, I feel I want to change your school. There's a school they just started here, Nigerian David Secondary School. I want you to attend that school. I did not know what he was saying. I was very happy. I said, yes, sir. He said, it's a very good school, blah, blah. I said, okay, sir. They gave me admission, GSS2. Um, letter of admission, everything. He walked it. The day my father brought me to the school, we drove into this compound, and um, I saw some students on the field. They were doing frog jump on the field. They were many. They were many. They were on the field. They were doing frog jump, frog jump. They were going up and down. So... I went, to meet the, I went to the administration block. I gave them a letter of um, admission. They looked at it. Ah, they said, you're in Blue House. One officer came and said, ah, this is Blue House now. The other one said, yes. He said, they are the ones on the field. They are serving punishment. He said, Daddy, it's OK. Your son will be fine. You can be going. Go and join them there. <laughs> Go and join them there. Sir, up till tomorrow, sir. My first assignment in Navy Secondary School was to do frog jump. I did not know up till now, till I left that school, the offense they committed, I had no idea. All I saw was that I was already conscripted into people that were frog jumping up and down. That was my first baptism. My Lord was still outside. Then, eventually, we were there till late in the evening. Late in the evening. Ah, how do I, what is the meaning of this? We got to the room again. They gave me a bunk. I sat on the, okay, I was exhausted. All my knees, every, my laughs were paining me. So I, I, I laid on the bed, sleeping. We slept, lights out, 10 o'clock. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. No. If I were to wake up, I will open my eyes again, carry my pillow, put it on my face again, until I see that sun is outside. That's when I used to wake up. 3 a.m. I just said, bah, 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 on the door. The commandant himself came. He said some people were not supposed to be in that room. They are in that room. They came to do inspection. In my heart, now. 3 a.m. Why 3 a.m.? And that began a transformation of my life. I had just two pairs of uniforms. If, the, if, if, you know, on the parade ground, they will always check you. You must be pack out. That's the word, pack out. Pack out. So, this one that you have five pairs of uniform, all those ones erased away immediately. My head started setting. My head started setting small, 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 small. You know, now, at a point in time, you know, eventually I left the school when I was in SS2 because 
I sat down one day and I was thinking, Tani Moshe, and sincerely, this is the truth of the matter. I said, she ain't too much more lost and money. Sincerely, that was the thought that came to my heart. Because the battering, the discipline here has really, really, really reduced, Brother Mola, it has really, really reduced. It has really reduced. So I sat down and I said, must somebody, they are paying heavily to bring me to this place and they are suffering my life here. Must my life end up like this? So severally, I, I, I was always imagining several things. But do you know what God was doing to me? There was a, there was a training. There was a help that my life was receiving. Even though I still removed my head from that yoke. You know what? I, I told my father, I said, if you don't come and take me from this school, I will stop eating you. I wrote a letter to him that I've started hunger strike. What made me write that letter? They gave us a punishment. Plant your head. You know, when, when they say plant your head, your head will be on the ground, your, leg, your knees will be up. It was as if all the blood in my body went to my head. I got up, my head was heavy. I was like, Kilo I did not understand. I did not understand that I was in a place of training. I did not understand that there were some things that had gone wrong in my life that if I had continued like that, I would not have been able to have a strengthened hand when I grow up. I don't know if you understand what I mean by a hand that is strengthened. A life that, is, that can keep appearing in the face of challenges, a life that can keep showing forth and all of that. So I see that when, when I now look back, I thank God that I was eventually sent to that place. I learned a lot of things. Discipline is, um, is the hallmark of the military. Discipline. What makes the military a disciplined profession? Are some of those things I just mentioned. They will, they will hammer you, both bass, to, eh, to conform. They, they will hit you. They will, they will do everything to cut you to size. Everything you need to be, that needs to be removed from your life will be removed so that you can conform to the picture that they are seeing. That's exactly the same thing Jesus and God does for us. If a child of God at this level oversleeps, overeats, over, even overwork, anything that is over is to the extreme. Over, overwork, oversleep, overeat, overdo anything. If God really, really loves you, he will rebuke you. He will correct you. If you are actually a child under God, he will, he will, put, he will make sure that he communicates to you in a language that you understand to trim you, to put you in line so that you don't, you don't, you don't fall off the way before, before the judgment day comes. God, anytime God sees any of his children doing anything wrong, anything, sorry I say a lot of stories a lot, I believe that Christianity is life. We are not just preaching theory. We are not just talking theory. It's life. 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 God intends that 
any child of his must have a correcting mechanism. As you are growing as a child of God, there must be something that puts you in check from time to time. Ajebe. I don't know if anybody has ever experienced a brake failure before. You are driving and your brake refused to, to, to hold it. It's a very bad thing. The first thing that will happen to you is panic. You'll be afraid. It has happened to me. I was afraid. How would this car stop? What will I do? And the car just crossed my path, was trying to enter his house. Very narrow road. I'm, I, 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 I was on this, on this Excel road here. I was. No brakes. And the car was just going. I was afraid. That's the life of somebody that has no checks. That God cannot correct. That God cannot talk to. That God cannot, you know, chastise. God cannot rebuke. How will that life end up? How will the life end up? How will the life end up? So please, I need us to look at our lives. When last did God correct us? When last did God correct you as a person? When last did God call your attention to an issue of your life? Either the way you talk, either the way you act, either the, so whatever things that you are doing. You know it's possible for me to do my quiet time. And I know I'm going to bribe in the office today. And I still wake up from that quiet time. I still go ahead and bribe and collect bribe. It's like that Judas that was with Jesus. And Jesus said, that which you want to do, quickly go and do it. Why would Jesus give you an express, express permission to go and do evil? You saw the way Judas Iscariot's life ended. It didn't end well at all. So when you wake up and you're doing your quiet time and there is a perceived evil in your heart that the word of God cannot reach, the word of God cannot touch, the word of God cannot subdue. Ah, you don't have to cook. That which you want to do, quickly go and do it. You know, Bible talks about, uh, I think it's somewhere in, um, in Ezekiel that says that he, he normally answers people with the um, you know, the idols that they have in their heart, with the multitude of idols in their heart, what you have in mind, what you want to do, the answers you always get from God will be in consonance, will be in agreement with those idols that you have in your heart. If you have made up your mind to do some evil and you come to God, like usually that comes up during marriage, when somebody has decided that this is the person I'm going to marry, and God is cautioning you, cautioning you, cautioning you, and you are saying that, ah, um, um, Genesis Kinnikon tells me that uh, uh, this is the person I'm supposed to marry, yet you know deep down that this is not the will of God for your life. And you're using scriptures to, to suppress the known will of God. After a while, all that you just be hearing is, that is the person. That is the person. Just go ahead. Everything you're just seeing is like, this is the person, is the person, is the person, is the person. Until that person enters into error. I pray for us that as children of God, we will always, you know, be right at the center of his heart. We will never at any point in time graduate from being corrected by our parents in the name of Jesus and by God in the name of Jesus. My heart is going to, down to the time that I, that I came up in my house. I was in part two. I was in Osu. And I came home and I said, ah, Daddy, I need a car in school, though. My father was still alive. I said, Mommy, I need a car in school. 
my younger sister just entered Osutu. There was no, actually, there was no, we had transportation problems. I was not a Christian. I was not a Christian at that time. There was transportation problems. So all my friends had cars. That's the truth of the matter. All my friends had cars. I was the only one that didn't have cars. So I came home. I said I needed a car in school. I didn't know that that thing really bothered my father. Do you know what they did? They called a family meeting. They called my elder sister from Lagos. They called the husband from Lagos, my brother. They called a family meeting. And they put me right at the center of that meeting. And they said, this is what your son, uh, this is what your brother has said, though, that he wants this, he wants this, he wants this. Ah, Mugoro. They said a lot of things. The one that was very vocal the most was my brother-in-law. He was saying, ah, if you have a car in school, all the girls in the school will be looking out for you. In my heart, I was like, what's the point? As in, they killed that thing. That thing pained me. But do you know that? All my friends that I said had all these cars, the best of them that graduated had a pass by the time we were leaving school. The others did not. Did not. The, the best had a pass while he was graduating. So I saw that it was, at that time, I did not find it funny. When God is correcting us, it is usually not palatable. It is usually not okay. We usually don't like it when God is correcting us. There is no chastisement that comes with pleasure. No time God will come to you and say, this thing that you are doing is wrong. That you will feel okay and you'll be happy. God, many ways, the people that God chastised, you need to find out how it was at the time. It was not convenient for them. But it was in their overall best interest. It's usually thank me later kind of thing. It's a thank me later kind of thing. Like, when God does it for you, you will later look back and have a reason to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did at that time. Even though I did not understand it. Even though I didn't understand what you were doing for me at that time. But now, looking back in retrospect, looking back, I can say, oh, in maturity, that this thing is actually for my good at the end of the day. And when you come out, you come out better. You will come out more ra um, radiant in the glory of God. I had a very bad week low. I'm talking about tough love. A very bad week low. I think it's about the greatest pain I've had in my life. A week low that became so big that I could be feeling a breathing sensation in my, in my finger. It was very bad, very terrible. So I, I left school, I went back home. And I drove myself to our, do uh, um, our doctor at that time. I drove myself there. So the, when I sat down, the man looked at the, looked at the um, Wicklow. He looked at it. And he made a statement. I've never forgotten that statement. He said, by the time I am done with you, you will feel like boxing me. I didn't understand what he was saying because I came to complain. But that was the exact, that's the exact statement that man made. He said, by the time I am done with you, you will feel like boxing me. But after two, three days, you'll be thanking me. I didn't understand what he was saying. So he called the nurse. 
he asked them to go and get a, a, a brand new blade. He got some surgical gloves, got an injection, and they came. And the first thing he did was to inject that particular hand. He injected it. I was just, you know, I think we had to deaden the, 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 the life there. So he now brought out that blade, wore his surgical gloves, and he asked me to hold the hand. He cut it at the side. And that was still not painful. It was when he now started pressing it. He was now pressing that thing. I started screaming. I started screaming in his office. I'm sure every, it was just a story building. I'm sure everybody in that hospital knew that something was happening in that room. Nothing, the, the injection did not deaden anything. I was screaming. I was shouting. After I finished all of that and I was crying, at a point, I wanted to bite him. At a point, I wanted to bite him. You know, when, when pain comes to a threshold, when pain comes to a particular level, um, you, you, would, you would not be rational in your thinking again. It wasn't boxing that came to my I wanted to just bite him and leave me alone. You know, eventually he left me and I, and I drove away. Two, three days, like he said, the thing had gone like nothing happened to me. And I was like, oh, so this was what this man was saying. And that's the same way God does with us. That's the, way, it's the same way God deals with us. He looks at us. He looks at that which, is, which, is, which, we, which we are erring in. And he attacks it. If it's pride, God will humble you. If it's anger, he will ensure that this anger that you are having, eh, he knows how to organize you. That by the time he is done with you, you will be subdued. If it is laziness, he will just package you to a house that they don't sleep. You know what I mean by that? There are some houses that they are always walking around the clock. And once you are in that house, you must walk around the clock. By the time you are leaving that house, you'll have been better for it at the end of the day. He will organize some jobs for you. Some jobs that, you know, the make -make kind of job that you may just be in the office, there's nothing happening. That's not the kind of job, if God really loves you, he will put you in a job that you'll be panting for breath like this. As you are trying to rest, they have called you again. A memo has come again. Something, something, something has happened. Kilo to Dubai. God is training you. God is trying to prepare you for something ahead. I once heard that for every of God's blessings comes a responsibility. Every blessing that God gives to you is God usually attaches a responsibility with it. If you are praying for a child, are you ready to be waking up in the middle of the night? When the child starts crying, are you ready? You are asking for a job. Before, you used to wake up by 7 p.m. Now, you have to wake up by 5 a.m. because you have to get to that job early. Psychologically, have you prepared your heart for that? You are praying to God for a car. Have you, uh, do you know that people who use cars always buy fuel? Do you know that they always service car? Do you know they always buy tires? Do you know that they, they do several things to make sure that, that car runs? They do vehicle license. Insurance now is 15000 Eh? <laughs> You do your driver's license. The last I heard, about 38, 48,000, 40,000 naira. So if you are praying to God for a car, have you considered all those things surrounding it? 
So God usually trains us. He helps us so that our lives will be like Jesus. Anything that takes us away, that does not make our lives to look like Jesus, our firstborn, he tries to prune those things. He removes those things. But the question that is in my heart is, how many of us is being trained this way? How many of us still have a relationship of correction? How many of us have had to be checked in our, in our utterances, in our behaviors, in our actions, in our ways of life? This correction, how many of us, when last did God correct you? When last did God chastise you? When last did God rebuke you? When last did God call your attention to a matter and says, go and make amend on this matter? When last did God call you and say, you are not doing well on this matter? If you continue like this, you will not make it homo. You will not make it homo. Change your ways now. I think it's one of the greatest mercies that a life can receive under God. When God keeps giving you breaks from time to time. It's about one of the greatest love expression that you could possibly have. When a father is beating a child, that child will never, never be happy. That child will be like, this pain is too much. But at the end of the day, when that child becomes grown, responsible, then the child can say, ah, I thank God for my father's beatings. I thank God for my mother's beatings. My mother used to use broom. Anything that catches our fancy at that when we were growing up, anything, if it's Omorogun, and you are still standing beside her, you know, um, person now, anything, if it's slippers, if it's broom, many times we'll just be seeing the, you know, when they, I don't know if they use broom on anybody here, the marks of the broom, eh? The swelling of the broom will be on your hand like this, on your head. At times you'll be touching it on your face like this. Anything they see, you must conform. Your life must turn out well. You must do well. You this boy, you this girl, you must be responsible. But when those things are going on, it's usually very, very painful. So when last, that's the question God is asking us. If we are going to make it home, if we are going to succeed on this Christian journey, when last, did the Spirit of God rebuke you? When last did God intervene in your situation and say, I need to correct this young man now before it is too late? I'm praying that it will not be too late for us. I'd like us to bow down our heads as we pray. I'd like us to pray. I'd like us to bow down our heads and talk to God. When last when last did the Spirit of God warn me? When last did the Spirit of God correct me? When last was I rebuked? Or is God just giving me an approval to go and do whatever I want to do? That which you want to do, do quickly. And from this scripture that we read, it is the child that God loves that he corrects. Are you a child of God? Have you given your life over to Jesus? If you have not given your life over to Jesus, God cannot correct you. It is only his children that he corrects. Or have you given your life and you have backslided? 
You have, you have pulled away. You have taken your life back from him. This is another opportunity for you to amend your ways. If there is anybody like that, please, I want you to raise up your hand. I just want to pray with you. just want to ask that the Lord, in his infinite mercy, would have mercy on your life. If I have one or two, please, can I, can I just raise up your hands? You want to give your life to Jesus? You want to become a child of God? Or probably you have removed your, your, your neck from his yoke. You have said, oh, let me just be doing my thing. You have just been going about doing whatever pleases you. If you are that person, please, can I just pray with you? I won't ask you to come. I just want to pray with you. Raise up your hands wherever you are. just want to pray with you. Do we have one or two people like that? You are saying, Father, help me. I thank God for, those, uh, for that hand that I'm seeing. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that um, for as many as are before you today, that probably may not have given their lives over to you and have not become your child, or have given their lives to you and have taken it back one way or the other. Father, I pray, please have mercy on these lives in the name of Jesus. Lord, your word says that whosoever comment unto you, you will in no wise cast away. Pray that you don't cast away these ones in the name of Jesus. Make them your children once again in the name of Jesus. Help them to stand with you in the name of Jesus. I pray for my brethren. I pray, Father, that you will help us. Don't leave us alone. Don't leave us to be by ourselves in the name of Jesus. Send your word intermittently to us. Organize situations that will help us to be in check in the name of Jesus. Thank you, our Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen and amen. God bless us all in Jesus' name.